Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. Well, before uh, I begin, I'm going to have a word of prayer, but uh, um, right before I pray, uh, I think it's important to remember we're right at the end of Acts, and uh, we've been talking a lot with Acts about um, sharing the gospel in a lot of different ways, but recently with Paul, he's been put on the spot. Now, when I learn things, uh, I, sometimes I just prefer to watch somebody do it. Is there anybody else in here like that? I mean, you, sometimes you need the explanation. I think about it like when I'm learning a new game, right? You read the directions, and, or maybe the person explains it to you, and you're sitting there, you kind of you think, maybe, but then have you noticed sometimes once it starts and you see it in action, you start going, okay, okay, this is the, okay I'm getting it now. Um, I think about that when I'm working on a car, trying to figure things out on my car, or uh, honestly, even uh, teaching a class. Uh, a lot of times my students, and in two different ways, a lot of times my students, they just want to see me work the problem out. Like I'm explaining it to them, I'm giving them a chance to figure some things out on their own, but sometimes I'm just, they'll, they'll raise their hand and go, just, can you just show us again, sometimes. I think it's interesting with this particular passage that we're looking at today, that's exactly what we're going to see happen. I think about even when I'm teaching a class from the other perspective, when you first start being a teacher and you're learning how to teach, sometimes it's very helpful to see a really good teacher in action and watch them and see the things that they do and uh, say, oh man, they did. that's really good. In fact, uh, all good teachers are good thieves. They steal ideas from all the other teachers all the time, right? But we're all okay with that. You find a good idea, and you think, man, that's a great idea. I'm, gonna, I'm stealing that one, right? And then and whoever you're stealing from is like, go ahead, have it, you know? Because that's what, you, you got a, a mindset. Today, we're going to get a read through a passage, and I'm going to go through one chapter really fast. I'm gonna just going to kind of skim through, and that's actually what we're going to look at Wednesday night. Uh, we get a, we're getting a lot of information because Luke is uh, I, on the scene, and so as Luke is writing Acts, he's got, oh, man, he's given us all kinds of details, more than the times when he wasn't around and he was getting it secondhand. He's given us all kinds of information. So we're going to take a look at that Wednesday night. But we're going to get to watch Paul in action. And so I want you to think about today as, okay, I want to share the gospel. I want to share the gospel with people. I want to do that. If for no other reason, for some of the reasons you guys mentioned today. There's, there's peace. There, there's, there's good things. There's God's amazing grace. And we, we cling to those things, and we're so grateful for those things. And if good news is really good news, what do you want to do? Share it. Think of today as getting a chance to watch Paul in action. Okay? How did he share the gospel? We've, getting, we've got a little glimpse of him preaching, but this is him witnessing to somebody. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for Paul's example. I thank you that Luke has copied these things down and and written these things down so we can read about them and learn from these things. I pray that as we listen to this story today, it will be like for us watching somebody in action, sharing good news. Pray that you help us to learn some things from Paul today. In your name I pray, amen. 
Now, I'm going to jump right in where we left off last time. This is right at the very end of Acts chapter 24. It says, When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. So that's right where we stopped last time. Uh, like I said, I'm going to go really fast through chapter 25. Uh, this is the coinage from Festus. So uh, after Felix, you may remember Felix's coin had his face on it. Uh, Festus didn't put his face on the coins. He just minted these coins. Uh, Festus seems to be, from historians and uh, from the text, a little bit more of an even-keel sort of guy, right? Not, not as uh, ridiculous as Felix was. Uh, like I said, this chapter we're going to take a look at on Wednesday night, so I'm going to go really fast through this. I'm just going to share with you a couple highlights of what happens next. Festus is in Caesarea for three days, and then he goes down to Jerusalem, hoping to bring this case to a close. Festus listens to their case when he gets in Jerusalem, the Jews, and he says this, and this is chapter 25, I've skipped down to verse 5. He says, let the men of authority among you go down with me, talking about going down to Caesarea, even though it's north of Jerusalem, everything away from Jerusalem was going down. You went up to Jerusalem and everything else was going down. So that's why it says go down. Uh, if you want to go down with me and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. He stays about another week in Jerusalem before he heads back. And by the way, we most likely have so much information because, like I mentioned, Luke is on the scene. In fact, he's probably been around these last few years. In fact, most scholars agree that this was probably the time period when Luke was doing his investigative work. Uh, Luke chapter 1 starts off this way. Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts, this two-volume set, he, wrote, he writes at the very beginning of Luke chapter 1, and he says, "...inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers..." of the word um, uh, have delivered to them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, who he's writing Luke and Acts to, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. I love this, by the way. Faith in the Bible is never meant to be stupid. Faith is built on knowledge and truth. And Luke did research in that. Aren't you so glad there was somebody that had their wits enough about them to say, I'm going to investigate and go to eyewitnesses and get this account. Now, we obviously trust the Spirit of God is guided through all of this, but I'm so thankful for a guy like Luke who said, I've taken it upon myself. I've been following this for a while, but I've taken it upon myself to dig in and research. So, that's just a side note. This is probably the time period where uh, Luke is doing these exact things. But back to Festus and Paul. Uh, they come back to Caesarea, Festus says. They bring their charges again. The Jews come back as well. Paul offers a defense again. Festus wants to do the Jews a favor and offers to bring Paul back to Jerusalem, be tried again. Paul then responds this way. He says, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I have done no wrong as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. If I'm guilty, I'm guilty. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, uh, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. 
and very important phrase. It'd be like us saying, I'm appealing to the Supreme Court. He appeals to Caesar, a very judicial thing. Festus then replies, well, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. And that's where Paul is going to eventually head here by the end of this uh, book. At this time, Herod Agrippa II uh, and his sister Bernice arrive on the scene. Here's a coin from uh, Herod Agrippa II. His full name is Marcus Julius Agrippa. Bernice is actually his sister. She was actually known for having several failed marriages and several, several affairs. This is what Bernice is known for. Um, even, she even had one with a guy who eventually became the future emperor. She made it to Rome in this uh, affair with the guy, but then he, the people didn't like her of Rome because she was Jewish, and he kind of said, well, you're not going to hang around. Uh, but this is what Bernice is known for. Drusilla, do you guys remember Drusilla from last week? Um, married to Felix. The, remember the young girl that Felix had tricked into marrying him? Right? Drusilla was actually uh, this guy, Agrippa's youngest sister. So we got some kind of weird family thing going on here. It reminds me of even what happens nowadays, like this power family, right? Uh, these are the great-grandchildren. So Agrippa II, Drusilla, Bernice. These are the great-grandchildren of Herod the Great, the Herod that was around when Christ was born, the Herod that sent his army to Bethlehem to try to stop the Messiah, the Herod that had all children, three and under, killed in Bethlehem. This is his great-grandchildren, these people. That's going to be important later, by the way. <clears throat> by the way, I know a lot of these things, not from the scriptures, but from other histories. There's a lot of things that we do actually know about them. When Paul is brought, Festus makes a point of saying that Paul had appealed to Caesar, but he wasn't sure about what to write in the case. So he's thinking, okay, I'm sending him to Caesar. I don't know what to write that his charge actually is. So when Agrippa shows up, he says, hey, would you like to come in and listen to this too? And maybe together we can figure out what to write. And he says this here, he says, for it seems uh, to me re unreasonable if sen in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. Right? Can you imagine? Uh, them sending Paul to Caesar, and Caesar's going, what are you here for? Do we have any paperwork to go along with this guy? No, nothing. I mean, so they're thinking, we, I mean, Felix just got booted out of the job for doing a bad job. So they're probably thinking, I got to keep my job here. I don't want to upset Caesar. And so they're thinking, we need to have this. So chapter 26 then, so that's chapter 25. Chapter 26 then begins this way. So Agrippa said to Paul, um, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. So now we're going to get to hear and understand it's a trial situation. But what you're going to realize is that Paul, in the middle of this, I don't think Paul is at all thinking about that. I absolutely believe that what Paul is doing, you're going to see this before it's over. What Paul is doing is this. He's saying, I don't care where I'm at. I have the chance to witness to Agrippa. Now, he may have been thinking He's the great-grandson of that guy. I don't care where he ends up. But he doesn't. He's, gonna, he's looking at it this way. I get a chance to witness to Agrippa. I don't have this as a point, but this is definitely something to take into consideration. Whatever circumstance you're in, no matter how you've gotten there. I love the stories I hear of people who've ended up in the hospital and in their, their hospital beds. They're thinking, you know what they're thinking? Have you ever met anybody like this? They're not thinking, how am I going to get better? You know what they're thinking? I get a chance to witness this nurse I've never, I've never met before. 
Have you ever met anybody like that? Yeah, some of you are nodding your head. I, that, that always is an amazing thing. But this is, this is, they get this, they've inherited it spiritually from Paul. Paul has this mindset. So we're going to dig into this, and I've got, let's see here, how many do I have? I think I have seven pointers, or you might call them seven uh, observances of this witnessing. Here's the first one for the you note takers. I've noticed, by the way, those that come on Wednesday night, they love it when I have the fill-in-the-blank notes, that they're, and they're trying to see, okay, who took good notes that actually knows these things. So for you note takers, here it comes. Uh, first point, witnessing. This might seem obvious. First point, be kind. Be nice. He's going to greet him with kindness and humility. You know, I've had two specific occasions where I had a chance to witness to someone who was an atheist, two different guys, actually two different times. And, and uh, a lot of times, those, let's just be honest for a minute. A lot of times those uh, stories of a Christian witnessing to an atheist, do they go smoothly? Does that usually happen? No. Well, what happens a lot of times? What's that? Argument, absolutely. Turns into an argument. I've known, in fact, both these guys, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to share their whole stories or anything, but both these guys, they, they were hesitant to talk to me because I was a Christian. Not because of a disagreement, but simply because of past experiences. They'd met some Christians who were, I'm just, they were jerks. I'm going to shove the Bible down your throat until you believe it. And if you don't believe it, you're an idiot. They may not have said those exact words, but that's what they got. Number one, just be kind. Uh, both these cases, and I, I, can't, I wish I could say it's happened to me this way all of the time. I can't say that, but these particular two, God had been working on me, and I, I, I had that mindset going into it, and, and just started off by being, and both those guys, praise the Lord, I, neither one of them have become Christians, which is sad, as far as I know. Maybe they have, I don't know. But... Both of them walked away at the end of that conversation, and they said, that is one of the best conversations I've ever had. And I, it, that, wasn't, that was God's grace pointing me in the direction of just being kind. Be nice. Be nice. Listen to how Paul starts. Enter into the story. We're watching the pro at work here, okay? Paul starts off, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa. I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar, I'm sorry, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. You know, a Christian, if you say, do you mind if I tell you this? And they say, I'd rather not hear it. He goes, that's okay. They don't go, well, I'm going to tell you anyway. And maybe you've heard differently, but I'm going to tell you right now. We're not called to shove truth down anybody's throats. Number two, be personable. Be personable. Share your personal background. Let people get to know you. Be willing to tell them about yourself. Be willing to share your past, your background. Often this goes both ways. It may have gone this way with Paul in this case. We're not getting the full story. We're getting what Luke has remembered about the conversation. This is obviously unique and that Paul was in a trial situation, so it may not have been too conversational. But keep in mind that even Christ, who knew everything, would quite often ask 
questions. In fact, I started thinking just this morning, I was going back in my head through the Old Testament, and I thought, it's amazing how many times God, in his interactions with people to point them to the truth, starts by saying a question. Adam and Eve, where have you been? What have you done? He knew. Cain, where's your brother? Abraham, where's Sarah? Oh, she's in the tent laughing? Because I said that she would have a baby in her old age? To Sarah, why did you laugh? She, of course, said, I didn't laugh. (laughs) Yes, you did. Why'd you ask? I think there's something in there. To Hagar, where are you going with your son? Where are you headed? To Job, so many questions. I'll tell you one. Job, do you know how the oceans were made? To Elijah, when he's in a cave. What are you doing here? To Jonah, after the people have repented, and he's sitting out underneath a vine, frustrated, because God has saved his enemies. God says to Jonah, is it good that you're angry about this? Jesus, to the woman at the wall, where's your husband? Jesus, to the crippled man sitting by the pool, do you want to be healed? Jesus to the man born blind, after he's healed him, he's been off, he hasn't seen Jesus, he comes back, he meets him, he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? I could go on. But let's listen to Paul as he's personable, his side of it, as he shares and begins to share his life. He's speaking to Agrippa and he says, my manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I'm accused by the Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? You see him ending with the question. Paul, I think, because Agrippa has grown up here, is relating. He knows Agrippa's background. Agrippa doesn't know his. So do you think he's laying out some things here so Agrippa knows, this guy isn't that much different than me. He's similar background. He's, He's come from this area. He's come from this place. I love how he turns his own story back to the roots of the gospel message. He brings that in there. And the reality, ultimately, he's starting to weave it in. This isn't just about a trial. It's about the gospel. God raises the dead. Why is it so unbelievable, he says, that he would raise Christ? Again, a question. But not just personable. I'm going to go another step. Transparent and specifically with your shortcomings. Transparency, honesty. I'm going to ask you to listen to Paul as he reveals this part of his life that 
you'd think he'd go, I'd rather forget that part. Does anybody in the room have a certain part of your history that you go, I'd rather just forget that happened? Now, you're not raising your hand. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Let's do forget it, right? Yeah, let's just forget that part right there. It's amazing to me that Paul is so trained. Now, you've got to really enter into Paul's mindset. Paul is so trained. This is not the first time he's shared this. Paul is so transparent about his history and what he's getting ready to share that some would be like, well, that's embarrassing. I wouldn't want to share that part. Churches are full of, of Christians who are afraid to share where they've come from. Thank God, I don't think we're very much like that. Some of you have shared things that uh, would have made some people's hair, and I just love it. I love it. We're all sinners. There's not a person in this room that I look around, I'm looking around, there's not a person in this room that I think that I'm better than. Now, I don't get up here all the time and start telling you all the things I've done, but there's been some of you right in the middle of where you're at where I've had the ability to say, I've been there. I've been there. Paul, I believe he's being transparent with his shortcomings. This, by the way, I believe is one of the most important things for a church. When people walk in our doors, they, re- they, they need to realize that when they walk in and they see all you sitting in here, they, they shouldn't think, well, this is a bunch of people that has their acts together. They should look around and go, I'm home. <laughs> I'm home. <laughs> These people are as messed up as I am. Some of them worse. We're just all here because of Jesus, and we're just praising him. Oh, Lord, I'm so thankful you love sinners. Listen to Paul then. Listen to Paul. I myself was convinced I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Can you think of one particular story that Paul may be thinking of in his mind with this? Anybody know? Stephen. Who was, what young man was staying there? Stephen, as people were taking stones and hurling them at Stephen just because he testified about Christ. And as Stephen was dying, who was standing up on the hill? I picture him arms crossed and people were laying their coats at his feet. Who was it? Paul. Now, it's easy for us to read. We know the story. But imagine for Paul, isn't that something you'd think, I wish nobody knew that about me. Listen to what he says next. And I I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. I tried to make them blaspheme. I tried to get them to blaspheme God. In a raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Talk about transparency. Talk about honesty, even in your shortcomings. I I think that this is so important when you're talking to people that you begin to lay that groundwork when you're relating to people. They they don't need to see you as somebody who's sitting there. And honestly, that's what sometimes Christians do. 
They go, man, you're so messed up. You know, you need Jesus so you can, and they don't say these words, but you know what, the, you know what comes across? So you can be like me. God forbid anybody hears us witnessing to Christ that they think we're actually witnessing to ourselves. You could be like me. No, you be like, don't be like me. Be like him. Be like him. Let's expand that a little bit. Be transparent then with your salvation experience. Sometimes this can be such a personal thing, but more importantly, this is often where people start to think you're a nut. Right? I mean, they're with you. You're messed up, I'm messed up, great. And then you start talking about Jesus entering your soul and saving you from your sin, and now the Spirit's in me, and they're going, I don't know what's in you. <laughs> Listen to uh, Paul, though, be honest with his salvation experience. And once again, we're watching this guy at work. And I want you again to, you got to enter in, you got to think about it, you can think, man, some of the things he's getting ready to say, he's got to know in his head, they're going to hear it and go, Paul, man, you're, I was with you, you're off your rocker. In fact, that's actually going to happen in a minute, but we'll, we'll get there, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Listen to Paul, he says, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. So he's still talking about where he's been. And he says, at midday, O oh king, have you ever been right, ready to t tell somebody about your salvation experience? And you know, at this moment, you're going to cross the line where you go from being normal, rational human being to in their eyes, they're going to go, you're a crackerjack. There's <laughs> something wrong with you. What are you saying now? I think that this is the moment, and Paul's got to know when he starts saying these things. You can even imagine the look on their faces, right? Have you ever seen that look when you're talking to somebody, and they're like, yeah, 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 and then you start talking about the spiritual stuff, and they're like, mm -hmm. and they, say, they start to, mm -hmm. almost like they want to pat you in the head, you poor person. <laughs> you're crazy. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen on the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I've appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen, uh, which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now this has flowed right into my very next point. Be transparent with your spiritual calling. At some point in the conversation, you're not just sharing. 
people are going to start to realize you're sharing with a purpose. You want the people you're talking to about Jesus, you want them, whatever it ends up looking like, you want them to at some point go, I believe it. I believe it. Isn't that what you want? They're going to figure it out, even if you don't tell them. But at some point, we, are, we have a spiritual calling. I mentioned earlier, if good news is really good news, what do you want to do? Share it. Matthew 28, Jesus says, and Jesus came and said to them, this is right before he ascends into heaven, this is after he's been crucified and risen from the grave. So Jesus came to them, the disciples, and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. But even without that command, an example I've used before, um, and I'm going to use it again because I just love thinking, it's a good reminiscing. Uh, down in South Carolina, and when we were scraping by, there was this grocery store, and the guy, I think, was a Christian, and he would, he would just, all the stuff that they were going to have to throw away, instead of throwing away, he would keep it in boxes until, and then he'd, he'd get it all out on this parking lot, right? So just huge, bigger than this, the size of this room, all these boxes just laid out. And he had tape going around, and all of us poor people, we'd get around the tape on the day that we, and there was no advertising, we just all knew. But you know how we knew that that day was coming? Because some other poor person we'd met said, man, there's food for cheap. Come on. We heard about it, like, all right, let's go. And you didn't pay by the box, wasn't it? It was like just a couple dollars per box. Oh, man, you can. Now, they didn't let you stack the box all the way up. But, man, you, you think I'm using all my packing skills to get as much in that box as I could? Oh, man, you know. And we'd be standing by the tape and looking out over all the stuff. And be like, I like, about five boxes back, I see some Starbucks coffee. <laughs> right? Oh, man, there's Oreos over there. And we've given our kids assignments. You know, Sam, Joe. No, Joe, stay with Sam. Leave a little. Okay, you head for that box there. You get some Oreos and Pop-Tarts, right? And uh, we knew things they recognized. And, uh, you know, you, you head that way. And, and I'm heading for the coffee. And, and Charity, she's like, I'm going to get us some actual food to eat. You know? Uh, you know, so she's going for something that, you know, we can get some sustenance from. We're getting coffee and cookies. But, uh, you know, it, you know we'd, we'd rush out there. But it, it's always interesting to me when I think back to that memory because there, was, there wasn't advertising. I don't think there was any. They didn't do anything. It was just all word of mouth. Why? It was good. It was good news. It was good news for poor people. Sounds like the gospel, isn't it? Sounds like the gospel. And that's what we do. Even if Jesus, Jesus didn't need to say this command. Without the, if that was taken out of the scriptures, we would still, Christians would still be going, therefore. Why? Because we're like, the, we're like there's food. <laughs> there's Jesus. Come on. He forgives anybody of anything. And he guarantees by faith in him that you can have eternal life. Just come. Just come. And so we're always telling people. And sometimes we, we don't know how to say it all the time, so we, we, we start it and then sometimes we just go, just, 
Come, well, come to church and he'll tell you all about it. Good stuff, though, I know that. Right? Isn't that how we get? Come on, it's good news. It's good news. Paul has shared his personal commission. He continues on with this and he says this, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not, a, I was not a disobedient to the heavenly vision, <clears throat> but declared first to those in Damascus. He went right away. I mean, as soon as he saw the light, He's telling people about it. Right? He was on his way to Damascus, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with the repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. All those years later, to this day I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great Say nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. That the Christ must suffer, and that being the first to rise from the dead, he proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And I mentioned a moment ago with this level of transparency, this is where people start to think you're a nut. Right? So, Paul, King Agrippa, Bernice, um, who else was there? Anybody remember the other guy's name? Not Felix, he's gone, remember? He's been deported. <laughs> Festus, right? Festus is there, he's trying to get to the end of it. I, I think Festus is probably at this point, you know, he's probably sitting next to Agrippa, and as Paul's talking, I imagine him looking over at Agrippa going, right? Are you hearing this, Agrippa? Listen to what he says next. As he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. So you're not alone when you're sharing the gospel and somebody starts it. They may not say it quite as bluntly as Festus, but maybe you've had those family members. And what, what are you to them? Religious nut, right? Okay, now, I just got to ask. Anybody in here, maybe not the words religious nut. Anybody in here have family members that when you became a Christian, they started looking at you like a nutcase? Anybody? A few of you? I, if it hasn't happened yet, keep down this road of following Paul's example of witnessing to the, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, sharing that you were once a sinner. You've seen the light. God has changed you. I'm not who I used to be. And I guarantee you that some of you, and I don't want to step on your toes, but I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't have people looking at you like you're a nut, you may not be sharing the gospel the way Paul did. I need to give my next point here. Don't be offended when this happens. Don't be offended. I was listening uh, yesterday to one of my favorite Michael Card songs. It's called God's Own Fool. I've got the first two stanzas I'm going to put up here for you because it, it captures exactly what I'm thinking about right here. It says this, and I'm not going to sing it for you, by the way. Uh, he says, seems I've imagined him all of my life. Talking about Jesus. 
as the wisest of all of mankind. But if God's holy wisdom is foolish to men, which we know this, right? We've talked about this. He must have seemed out of his mind. For even his family, and this is true, even his family said he was mad. How about Jesus? His family, his brothers. A couple of them eventually became believers. By the way, because I think they saw, wait, you were dead. And that convinced them. Even his family said he was mad. And priests said a demon's to blame. That, ha- that happened. They-, they watched his life and they said, man, what are you doing? And they're like, this must be Satan. Beelzebub. Can't be something good. You're crazy. You got an evil spirit in you, Jesus. God in this form of this angry young man could not have seemed perfectly sane. I'm not going to get the quote right, but as I was telling you that I was thinking about C.S. Lewis, and I I hope somebody will correct me if I'm sharing this wrong, but C.S. Lewis talked about that exact same thing. You either look at Jesus as he was either insane. There it is. Thank you. Didn't have that in my notes. It just came to me. Liar. He was either a liar, a lunatic, or he had to have been who he said he was, Lord. No other options. So don't be offended. Don't be offended. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. I, I picture him saying it slower to try to emphasize I'm not nuts. Festus, I am not out of my mind. I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king, who's been silent, Agrippa, for the king knows about these things. See, this is my clue right here that Paul and Paul's mind, he wasn't on trial at this moment. It's like in his, his mind, there's King Agrippa, who's grown up here, a Jew who Paul said quite often, Love, I've got a chance to witness to the great-grandson of Herod the Great. And I think Paul hears Festus and he turns right back around and he says, but King Agrippa, I, I almost picture his eyes like kind of honing in on Agrippa's eyes and going, he knows these things. He knows these things here are true. For the king knows about these things and, and to him I speak boldly. To him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa. Picture the hush. King Agrippa. Do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. I know that you do. Be persuasive. Understand when I say this, it's not based on having a keen skill of being a persuasive speaker. See, you can do those things, can't you? You can adjust your tone. I was trying to do it myself just then, right? Adjust my tone. Hush. When, when I talk to my students, I'm really trying to persuade them on something important. I just, I don't go, hey, you need to be good. I, I go, one of the most important reasons, you need to learn this math assignment. 
It's because you're getting a test next week. But I'm not talking about that. When it's real, real good, good news, in the inner part of who you are, if you love the people you're talking to, you desperately want them to believe. And that's okay. That's what you want. That's what God wants. Be willing to be persuasive. Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Mm. How many of you had that experience? You're sharing the gospel, and and in your head, maybe sometimes in your head, you're like, that is the most eloquent I've ever been. But it's not prideful. You're going... Man, God was with me. I was sharing things. I was remembering verses I didn't even know I remembered. I was sharing these things. I just felt like God was with me the whole time. And it was rolling off my tongue. And I described the goodness of the gospel in a way that I don't, I don't even ever heard anybody say it that way before. But I don't even know if I could repeat it now if I tried. But it was just right. And then you get to the point, and you, you finally, because you've exhausted all the things you're going to say, and they've been listening, 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 and the look on their face might even be like, not like Festus, like you're a nut, but maybe Agrippa is going, like, you know, that's interesting. And you get to that point, and then you go, do you believe? And you're hoping so much. You're like, all your, you're wanting, and, the, and time slows down, and you're sitting there going, I just want them to go, I didn't before, I do now. It's happened to me so seldom. I wish it happened more. Paul, I wonder if he felt that disappointment. I don't think he gave up hope at all. Do you think he felt that a little bit to get right to the end? Do you believe? And Agrippa, instead of going, I do, this makes sense. What does he do? He says, you think you'd persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day. So somewhere in the back of his mind, though, he was honed in on Agrippa. He knew there was others listening. I love hearing the stories about people who've shared the gospel And then later on, sometimes they don't hear about it. Sometimes we hear about it through a a roundabout way. They go, you know, you start asking, how did you get it? They go, I was on this train or I was on this plane and these people in front of me were talking about Jesus and I was just sitting there listening. Paul, that's what he's doing. What's he doing? He's saying, everybody here that can hear me might become such as I am, except for the chains, he says. (laughs) Not necessarily in prison. Agrippa isn't persuaded, and that's okay for now. The king rose, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. So this is not a final point that I have, but I do have a summary statement. This is what you're called to be. Just a witness. 
just a witness. If I think back to my grocery experience, you tell that person, man, there's just food. You know, some people you tell, you know they need it. And for whatever reason, maybe it's pride. You know, there's some people that are like, I'm not going to go stand out in some parking lot for an hour waiting for them to release us like a bunch of animals to go scavenge over boxes of food. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's they don't believe you. I don't know, is it really that good of a deal? You pay $2 a box, you can put whatever you want in there? Maybe they don't believe you. Maybe it's just too good to be true for them. Maybe they're busy that day. They need it, but they're just busy. But whatever the reason is, you share because it's good. If they don't come, you probably remind them again the next time it's happening, and the next time it's happening, and the next time it's happening. But you don't stop there. There's a lot of boxes. There's a lot of boxes of food. You know what? God's grace is infinite. It's infinite. You don't have to worry about sharing. You don't have to meet people up there. No. Let's have as many as we can. So what do you do? You know, you meet the next person. Hey, you look like a poor knucklehead like me. Would you like to? Man, there's free food for us. There's free gospel. There's free grace. And you meet the next person. I think that's why we're drawn to those people that we know are hurting. Right? Are struggling. Why? Because it's like with the food. Man, there's, I got something for you. You look like you need it. Come. Come. Come on. Come. Be a witness. Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about different aspects of this idea of sharing the gospel, being a witness to the gospel, and today we've dug right into an example of that happening. It's possible that some of you today, in hearing these last few weeks, or maybe even just what we've talked about today, have said, you know what? I have not been doing a good job with that. I've been enjoying the goodness of the gospel, and for whatever reason, I've been, maybe I've been embarrassed. Maybe I've not thought I was good enough to do it. I hope that all those excuses have been wiped away today. And that every single one of you knows that God has called you to be like a beggar, showing another beggar, there's bread. If you in the last few weeks have been convicted by your lack of sharing the gospel, I want to encourage you today to just, in these next few moments, I'm going to pray. And when I do, I want to encourage you to just, re- just repent. Just say, Lord, I repent. I repent of what I've been doing. I repent that I've been keeping this to myself. I repent that I've been embarrassed about sharing either my past or maybe how I got saved. My pride has gotten in the way. I don't want to look like a religious nut. I know some religious nuts, and I don't want to be one of those religious nuts. Well, too bad. If you believe this, you're going to be a nut on this earth. Get cracking. Right? Get out there. Share the gospel. Share the gospel. Pray this week. Wake up Monday morning and say, Lord, give me a chance to share. 
It might be like Paul. You may only get little bits of it in there. You may only get as far as when Paul said, would you mind listening to this? You may have people that say no. You say, okay. Then you find the next person that might need it. And you go, hey, can I share this with you? Sometimes it starts off by you just listening to that other person, getting to know about them. Some people need someone to be able to listen to them before they're ever going to listen to you. And don't you want them to listen to you? So you may go into it with some questions. How have you been? Are you hurting? Is everything okay? Oh, that's, that's tough. Have you gone through? Then you start believing it. I've gone through that too. I've experienced that as well. Pray Monday. Lord, give me opportunities. Open up my eyes so I can see what callings you have for me and who might be in my path this week. I absolutely believe every single one of you in this room will have an opportunity by next week to come back and say, I had a chance. And you're going to have one of two things to say. You're either going to say, I did, I did a really bad job, but I tried. Praise God. I was fumbling of my words and I, I didn't quite explain it quite right. God delivers the message from his willing servants. Some of you are going to get to next Sunday. And if I remember, I'll ask. I won't put you on the spot. I hope the Spirit does. And if you came up to those opportunities this next week and you didn't take it, I hope that what happens next is that you realize why. Because that's not an end all. See, some type of pastors might get up here and say, well, then you blew it. God's bigger than our stupid mistakes. But what God will do in those moments is he'll give you a chance and suddenly you may realize and you may have never known it before. I'm a prideful jerk. Or you might go, think I'm embarrassed of Jesus. God, help me to repent. Help me to change. See, it's not a come back to church, you blew it. It's a come back to church and say, I, I blew it. <laughs> and you'll probably have four or five other people. I did too. And somebody over in the corner, me too. Again. <laughs> That's why we come back together. And we're going to encourage each other then. Some of you, it'll happen out in the foyer. And you'll say, man, I blew it. And somebody else will go, I did too. And you'll be like, I'm going to pray for you. That You pray for me. I'll pray for you. And maybe the next week you'll come back and you go, I did it. I did it. Let's pray.